continue this morning with the sermon series from the Gospel of John, reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. I invite you to open your Bibles, or one of the few Bibles, to the reading of God's Word. Black Pew Bible, it is found on page 888. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word of truth, your word of life, your word of grace, your word of mercy. We are thankful for the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name for the blessing of your Holy Spirit. Come, O Spirit of the living God, and breathe upon us afresh to open our minds and to open our hearts, and give us ears to hear and souls to receive, hearts and minds to believe, to respond to your great word of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen. Let us hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, that is, noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You can't live without it. Not for long. No water, no life. She got her water from Jacob's well. Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, father of the twelve tribes of Israel. He lived roughly 1,700 years or so before Jesus. But if archaeologists are correct in identifying Jacob's well, it is still in existence. It's about 100 feet deep, and it is still fed by an underground spring. Well, she came at the sixth hour, noon. Most women came to the well early in the morning, late in the afternoon, in the evening, when it was cool. And the gathering of women at the well at those times was a social event, which women would visit to catch up with one another about news of the day, but this woman didn't go there then. She came to the well all alone in the heat of the day. Apparently, she wasn't welcome, at least she didn't feel welcome, at the well with the other women. Evidently, there was some kind of shadow of shame upon her. She was something of an outcast. So she came to Jacob's well all alone. In the heat of the day. One day, he came to Jacob's well. He traveled a long way, and he was hot, he was tired, he was thirsty. John makes it a point to tell us that Jesus was, quote, wearied from his journey. Hot, tired, and thirsty as any other man would be after a long, hot journey. And why does John make that point? Because John wants to emphasize the fact that Jesus was and is a man, a real man of real humanity. He was truly one of us. His human nature, though not corrupted by sin, was subject to all the limitations and the frailties of our human creatureliness. He got hungry, he needed to eat. He got thirsty, he needed to drink. He got tired, he needed to sleep. His divine nature in no way made his life on earth any easier for him. His divine nature was in perfect unity with human nature. And 
Remember those beautiful words from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here we see it. The eternal Word became flesh and sat down, wearied and thirsty, by Jacob's well. Here's something else you need to know about Jacob's well. It was in Samaria, the region of the Samaritans, in between Judea, Jerusalem in the south, and Galilee in the north. And Jesus was on his way from Judea. He had been in Jerusalem, on his way to Galilee. And he, as John says, had to pass through Samaria. Now the fact of the matter is, is that many of the Jews, many strict Jews, would have taken a longer route. They would have gone out of Jerusalem, traveled to the east, crossed the Jordan River, and gone up the eastern side of the Jordan River to avoid Samaria altogether because the Samaritans were considered unclean by the Jews. The Samaritans were of mixed blood. They were descendants of the Israelites, descendants of the tribe of Israel, who had intermarried with the Gentile, the pagan Assyrians, who had conquered and occupied Israel in the 8th century B.C. It's all part of Old Testament history. They were descendants of the people of Israel, but both their blood, their ethnic identity, and their religion had been corrupted by Gentile paganism. They had developed religious practices of their own which did not accord with the Jews. For example, the Samaritans did not worship at the temple in Jerusalem, as did faithful Jews, but they had Mount Gerizim in Samaria as their place of worship. That comes up later in this conversation. The point here, here's the point. There was a good deal of ethnic animosity, ethnic, racial animosity and religious conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews. So much so that the Jews, as John says, would have no dealings with the Samaritans for fear that they would become ceremonially unclean, unfit for worship and life as a true Jew. But the Word became flesh and went to Samaria. And when she went to the well all alone in the heat of the day, he was there and he spoke to her. Now this was one of the most shocking things that Jesus ever did. He spoke to a woman. He spoke to a Samaritan woman. Even more shocking was what he said. Give me a drink. Because if she handled the water jar from which Jesus would drink, then he, according to the Jewish custom, would be defiled. He would would be contaminated with her uncleanness. He's not supposed to do that. And so astounded, the woman responded, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Now the last person on earth that she would expect to speak to her would be a Jewish man. And the last thing she would expect was that a Jewish man would ask her for a drink from her water jar. But here he was, here's a Jewish man speaking to her, engaging her, treating her as though she were not a Samaritan, at least as as though it didn't matter that she were a Samaritan treating her as though there were no social taboos, 
no religious regulations which would put up a wall between them. Now, though she did not know it at that moment, you see, and it must have been very, very disorienting, but what she didn't realize at that moment was that she was experiencing the grace and mercy of God for the salvation, for eternal life, the, the offer of eternal life freely offered to all people through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, if you can put yourself back into the first century historical context and social context of this passage, you can see a living illustration of the gospel. Here's the gospel at work. God taking the initiative, going into the land of the outcasts, speaking to the shunned, touching the untouchable, tearing down the wall of division, crossing the boundaries of human alienation with the grace of divine reconciliation. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ enacted for us. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it. And what I hope that you will see in this scene right here at the well of Samaria is a living illustration, an historical proof that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. She just couldn't get her head around it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And, and here again, as we've seen in previous passages from the Gospel of John, Jesus' answer seems not to be an answer at all. This is another one of those interesting uh, conversations in which Jesus seems to be at first just talking past the other person. Why do you ask me for a drink? Well, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Well, here we go again. Just as did Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus who went to Jesus by night in the conversation about being born again? How can a woman enter again into his mother's womb and be born again? Well, now the woman interprets Jesus' words in a crassly, literal fashion. Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You see, she was raising objections to what Jesus had said, both from a practical standpoint. He didn't have a rope. He didn't have a bucket. In terms of questioning Jesus' authority, are you greater than our father Jacob? In effect, what she was saying is, who are you? Who do you think you are? And Jesus' answer was his way of saying, oh yes, I am greater than Jacob. <laughs> yes, by the way. But more than that, it was an invitation for the woman to trust in him and to look to him for the provision of her eternal need. Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never, ever be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Living water? What could that mean? Well, we get our clue from the Bible itself. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord himself speaks through the prophet Jeremiah saying, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, in that passage, the Lord himself was referring to himself as the fountain of living waters, and he was pronouncing judgment on his people who had turned away from him to worship idols, which were nothing more than broken cisterns and could not hold water, therefore could not sustain their life. He, the Lord, the uncreated creator, the eternal, the infinite one, the great I am, he alone is the fountain of living waters. And now, at this well in Samaria, Jesus promised living water to this Samaritan woman. Jesus was offering to her the very presence of God to this woman. The presence of God flowing into her life. The presence of God welling up in her life. The presence of God's life. God's eternal life. You see, the one who had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah 600 years before Jesus' death, the one who had spoken 600 years before now stood at the well and was speaking to her. Later in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living John tells us that Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So just a little later on, Jesus himself identifies the living water as the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of God, the life-giving Spirit of God who indwells all those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ pours the life-giving, living water of the Holy Spirit into the sin-scorched souls of all who trust in Him. Through Jesus Christ, new life by the living water of the Holy Spirit comes to all who believe in Him. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Living water. Living water for dying sinners woman still doesn't get it. She still seems to be thinking about literal water for physical thirst. Well, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and so I won't have to come back here and draw water every day. Hmm. Well, in order to show her that he was not speaking about her physical need of literal water, but rather her spiritual need of spiritual water, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. 
Now he's getting personal. And it must have taken her aback. And it probably frightened her. Perhaps touched that wound of shame. That dry, cracked, lifeless place in her heart. She didn't want to go there. She just didn't want to go there. And she said, I, I don't have a husband. So Jesus knew better. Jesus knew this woman. He knew everything about her. This weary, thirsty man knew everything about her weary, thirsty heart. You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said You can only imagine what she must have thought and felt at that moment. Now, we don't know her story. Perhaps one or two or three of her former husbands had died. We don't know. Perhaps two or three of them had unfairly divorced her for trivial reasons. We don't know. Maybe they weren't trivial reasons. It was sinful for her to be living with a man to whom she was not married. That was clearly sinful. We don't know the circumstances by which she fell into that sin. Perhaps she had been treated like trash and was therefore living like trash. We don't know. What we do know is that her life was at this point a very sad story. Perhaps due to her own sins, perhaps due to the sins of the men in her life who may have used her, abused her, discarded her. But the point is that her well had run dry. She was dying of thirst. There was no life in the desert of her soul. She had five husbands and the man with whom she was now living was not her husband. Do the math. the number of incompletions. It's the number of imperfections. It's just one shot of perfection. Just infinite. Not complete. Six is the number that wants to be itself. She was on her sixth man. And that day, number seven showed up. The perfect man. 
number seven dared to speak to her. He spoke to her, though she was an unclean Samaritan and an outcast of her own village. The perfect man spoke to her, even though he knew all too well about all of her imperfections. He freely offered her the living water which would flood her soul with new life, eternal life. Only he, the seventh man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, could give that woman the life for which she thirsted. He would be her husband, her spiritual husband, not her physical husband. And as her spiritual husband, that is, as her Savior, as her Lord, as her Redeemer, He would cleanse her, give her new life, restore her soul, renew her spirit, fill her with the living water of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, and keep His promises to her, never to leave her, nor forsake her, nor cast her off. As her spiritual husband, her Lord and Savior, He, number seven, would give her life, the life that she had never known before. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ for you and me today. We all, you and I, are every bit as unworthy and unclean as that Samaritan woman was. Jesus knows us through and through. He knows that our cisterns are broken, that our wells have run dry, and that without Him and the living water He offers, we will surely die. That's the reason that he came. That is the reason that the word became flesh, came to the well of Samaria, comes to the dry wells of our lives. That's the reason he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. That's the reason that he reached out and touched our uncleanness to take our uncleanness upon himself to be polluted with our sins as he died upon the cross. And what did he say? Listen, what did he say as he died upon the cross? I thirst. There it is. On the cross, the fountain of living waters himself dried up and died in thirst, taking all of our sins upon himself. He suffered in the scorching desert of our sins, thirsting with our thirst, dying our death in our place. The Word became flesh, thirsting, and died. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and now lives and reigns forever. And to everyone who believes in him, he gives the gift of living water. The indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit welling up, flowing out of the heart for new life, eternal life, communion with God to quench our thirst. You can't live without it. The living water which Jesus Christ provides. So the word of God invites us all. Let everyone who thirsts come to the water. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely.
about Christ. Let us drink deeply of the living water from the living God that flows to us for new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And to his name be all praise, honor, and glory now and forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful, marvelous word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of life through him. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would take deep root in our heart, that it would be watered from heaven and spring forth to bear much fruit for the glory of your name. In Christ our Savior.